Welcome to the Grace Church's podcast. The message you are about to hear was recorded live during our Sunday service. Follow along with the message by downloading our app, available for both Apple and Android phones. And now, for our message. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 18 this morning, if you want to open up your Bible or your device and um, get there. We're going to, this is a, this series of messages on breakthrough is a, um, is kind of a, uh, rather than just, we're, we're really focusing on two different places or areas of breakthrough, finances and forgiveness. And because this isn't my first rodeo as a pastor, I thought I'm not going to just do all the financial ones at one time because that would just be overwhelming, right? And attendance might drop. So I didn't want that to happen. So we're going to go back and forth. We're going to do, do one on finances, and then we're going to focus on forgiveness, and we're going to go back to finances and forgiveness throughout the course of this, um, this series. So in that, we are this morning going to be focusing on forgiveness and really cultivating, developing a lifestyle of forgiveness and seeing how forgiveness as a lifestyle is connected to breakthrough in the kingdom of God. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 20 says this. This is David speaking after he's um, received the word from the Lord. He's stepping forward into, into battle, and he has seen God bring victory to Israel. He says, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Our God is the Lord of breaking through. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, Our Lord is the Lord of breaking through. Breakthrough... The breakthrough that he brings is always a partnership. God brings the miraculous. We bring the faith. We bring the obedience. God brings the miraculous. We bring the surrender to him and to his ways. We serve a Lord who is a one who breaks through. And in looking at forgiveness this morning, in the same way that, we, that last week we talked about how lordship is an element of breakthrough, that making Jesus Lord of every part of our life, the, the principle was you can't serve two masters. You'll either love one and hate the other or, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God in money. We have to make Jesus fully and completely Lord. We can't serve two masters. In that same way, we cannot see breakthrough if we are not a people who are postured constantly to walk in forgiveness with ourselves and with other people. Forgiveness is central to the kingdom of God. It is absolutely core. All of the kingdom comes back to God loving people and making a way to be in re- them, for them to be in relationship with him through forgiveness. I want you to look at two passages of scripture, very familiar passages of scripture that have to do with forgiveness. Let's read this first one together out of Romans chapter three. Ready to go? Can we do it together? One, two, three, read. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. To be justified is to be forgiven. The word justification means that we stand before God in Christ as right or righteous. So when someone expresses faith in the gospel, they say, I believe that Jesus died for my sin and I I want to follow him. He is going to be my Lord. I am devoting myself to him. I'm emptying myself. I'm surrendering to him. That God looks at us and he sees us as righteous and as right. It's an absolute, it's the greatest miracle of all that in a single prayer by, by an extension of faith from our heart, we move from being people who are covered in darkness, who are covered with sin, into being people who are seen in God's sight as completely and totally right and pure. 
It's a beautiful thing. That's what God does. We've all sinned, and yet God makes us righteous. Through, it makes us justified through what Jesus does on the cross. One more passage of Scripture. This is speaking about God the Father. From Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes this. Talking about God, he says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God purchases our freedom with the blood of Jesus. I'm going to say it one more time. God purchases our freedom with the blood of Jesus. We stand in Christ righteous. The exchange takes place. Our filthiness becomes righteousness. His purity becomes sin. It says in 2 Corinthians that God made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might be righteousness. This is a beautiful thing. So forgiveness is at the core of the kingdom of God. Forgiveness is central to the kingdom of God. Now at the big breakthrough, the big breakthrough being salvation, at that moment that someone calls upon the name of the Lord and that they're saved, when that first takes place, when they are born again or born from above, like it says in John 3, and that barrier of sin is pushed down. That's, that's the ultimate breakthrough. You can't have a bigger breakthrough than getting saved. But salvation is not the only time in your life where you're going to need forgiveness. Amen? You need and I need forgiveness constantly. Write this down on your grace guide this morning or in the app. We seek and receive forgiveness not once but countless times in our journey with Jesus. Early when I was pastoring, I met a guy, um, nice guy, good guy, but he said, I already asked Jesus to forgive me my sins when I came to Christ the first time, and so therefore I no longer ask him to deal with any of my sins. And I get where he was coming from, because in that initial request, in that initial say, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me, that does cover us. I mean, that is, a, that is an eternity-changing moment. But we maintain our relationship with God and others by re re regularly returning to that place of repentance and saying, hey, I blew it. I mean, could you imagine that with your spouse? Well, I asked you to forgive me 12 years ago when we got married, when that one time I messed up, it's like, yeah, so why would I go back again and do that? But if you're married, you know that does not hurt your relationship any to come and say, hey, I was wrong. Raise your hand if you know that to be true. Every man's hand needs to be up in this room. Yes, that's the way, that's the way things get fixed, brothers. We come back and we say, you know what, I blew it. Would you please forgive me? Same is true with God. The forgiveness is there from the initial moment, of course. But we maintain the, the closeness, the intimacy of the relationship by continuing to bring our sin as we discover it, as we're aware of it, to the Lord and ask him to wash it away. Look at Luke chapter 18. Now, last week's parable, Luke 16, the dishonest manager was a little bit, you know, weird and strange, not the easiest parable to work through. This one's very straightforward. This one is super clear. You're immediately going to get this one. I'm going to start in verse 9, reading out of the, the ESV this morning. This is what it says. Speaking of Jesus, it says, He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That's the reason Jesus tells this parable. Verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I get. Verse 13, But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man 
went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus tells us, or Luke tells us as he's writing about Jesus in verse 9, he says, this is, this is why Jesus told this parable. Super clear. He told this parable for people who thought very highly of themselves, thought that they were righteous and had contempt for others. In other words, that people that judged other people. And that kind of makes me a little uncomfortable right off of the bat. Because I don't want to be like that Pharisee, but I definitely have Pharisaical tendencies. We should have a support group for that. People with Pharisaical, 12 steps to not being a Pharisee. I mean, it immediately, I'm like, oh, do I do that? Yeah, we're going to get to that. But we do. Here's, but this, when we have the big breakthrough, when you have the, the, the initial coming to Christ and you are born from above, you're born again, every single one of us that has made that decision to follow Christ starts off this journey as the tax collector in this story. Is you can't get to God acting like that Pharisee. You can't get into a relationship with God saying, I'm not so bad, I'm, I'm better than these other people, and I do these righteous things. We come to God initially as a tax collector. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The problem is that over time there is a, there is a draw away from that kind of core first love, that understanding of our need for forgiveness, and we slowly but surely can look more and more like the Pharisee. So Jesus says, this is, this is why, or John, uh, Luke says, this is why Jesus is telling this parable. And then Jesus begins in verse 10. Two men go up to the temple to pray. This is a good thing. Both of these guys want something good. They both go to the temple. They are both going to pray. It says that the Pharisee stands by himself. And I believe, based on the reading of the text, that he stands on, uh, by himself in a place where others could see and hear him. It says in the New American Standard, it doesn't say he stands by himself praying. It says that he prayed to himself, which is an interesting play on words. I mean, he's, he's praying kind of, I guess, the idea maybe quietly just so that he can hear. But there's also this sense that he's encouraging himself. He is, he is uh, doing a spiritual self-congratulations uh, here. Let me, let me just say that I'm doing a really good job. So he's praying to God because all prayer is to God, but he's also using this time of prayer to kind of pump himself up spiritually. And his prayer is based on comparison. I hope we never pray. By the way, if you ever hear me pray like this, I want you to come to me and correct me. And can I correct you if you pray like this too? God, this is, how it, this is what it says. He prayed thus, God, I thank you. I'm not like other men. And just begins to roll through this litany of other people's sins. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. And I'm certainly not like this tax collector who probably was overhearing everything that he said. The basis of the prayer was comparison. I, I want us to understand that, that when we go to prayer, and even when we just think about life, if we use the sins of others... If we use the sins of others to make ourselves feel good about us, we will always grow pride inside of us. But if we compare ourselves to the holiness of God, humility is always what will overtake. Write that down on your sheets. If you compare your, our behavior to the, if we compare our behavior to the sins of others, we will always grow pride. But if our behavior is compared to the holiness of God, we will always grow humility. This guy is growing some serious pride. He's pumping himself up. He's saying, I'm not like other men that do things wrong. Rather, I'm whatever, pure as the wind-driven snow. And here I stand before you, God. And then, verse 12, he goes on and says, oh, and by the way, 
I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Again, more self-talk, more letting everybody know that he is on his A-game. He is doing the things that he is supposed to do. It's interesting to think about Jesus when he teach, teaches in other places in the Gospels on fasting and on giving. What does he say about how we are to conduct ourselves when we're fasting or giving? It's always anonymous. It's always something that's hidden. That when we're fasting, we're not supposed to walk around like, I'm okay. I'm just fasting right now. Jesus, I mean, do people do that kind of stuff? Like, you know, they act like they're all spiritual and everything, and they want everybody to know, even though we're not supposed to tell, that they're fasting. They're really serious about their relationship with Jesus. We're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to. It's, Jesus says you're supposed to anoint your face with oil, anoint your head. Look, I mean, we, we should never know if you're fasting. I should never know. You should never know if I'm fasting. And I need to fast, and you should never know it. But I, it needs to be that I look normal because I'm, that's something between me and God. It says he rewards openly that which is done in secret. Same is true with giving. He says when you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. It's supposed to be in secret. This Pharisee obviously has not been reading Jesus' words or listening to his uh, messages in the temple because he's up there saying, I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of everything that I get. So here we have a guy whose righteousness is based on comparing himself with others and their sin, and he's trumpeting his good works before others as kind of a, to exhibit his superior spirituality to those that are within earshot. Look at verse 13. Here's the shift. Whole feel of the narrative changes in verse 13. We notice four things. There are four things told to us about the tax collector. I'm going to read to 13 again. It says, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We know that unlike the Pharisee who stood alone, but in a prominent place, we have now this tax collector who is off on the side by himself. He's, he's separated himself because of the conviction, because of the shame that he feels. Tax collectors were not righteous people. I mean, the basis of that occupation was deception and greed. You were not a person of integrity. You were not a person that was for your, your countrymen. You were a sellout to the Roman government if you were a tax collector. He recognizes this. He's by himself, and he feels conviction. It says he won't even lift his head up to pray. You ever seen that, like with little kids? Well, maybe we even do it too. When a little kid gets in trouble, and they really know that they're in trouble, and they admit that they're in trouble, now, unless you have a super brazen kid, they don't walk around like this. They're like this. That's this guy. He's, his head is down. He's by himself. He's so broken over his sin that he's, he's beating his breast. He's beating his chest as he prays, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's convicted about his way of life. He sees himself accurately. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, he sees himself accurately. And because he sees himself accurately, because he correctly perceives his sinfulness, he skips any posturing that he might be tempted to do. Anything like what the Pharisee did is not even on the radar for this guy. He's not saying anything like that. Rather, he's just saying, I got nothing, Lord. Please just be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 14 tells us what happens. Jesus says in the first part of 14, I tell you this man, the tax collector, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. 
And then Jesus gives us the kingdom principle that goes with this particular parable. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Exalting self will always lead to a downfall, will always lead to a humiliation that comes from God. What's it say in the book of Proverbs? Pride comes before the the fall. That if we are lifted up with pride, if we exalt ourselves, if we, if we, if we see our, think that we are better than we actually are and we trumpet our good works, that, that we are setting ourselves up for a fall. But if we will humble ourselves, if we will live in self-awareness in an accurate, with an accurate picture of who we are and where we're at, if we come before God in the kind of humility exhibited by this tax collector, God will exalt us. He will justify us. He will lift us up. Everything in this story is backward. I mean, the Pharisee is the one that should be the most righteous, right? Pharisees knew tons of scripture. Some Pharisees memorized full books of the Bible. Some memorized the entire Pentateuch, the first five books of the scriptures. That's some serious commitment to the word of God. Besides that, they knew the the traditions. They knew the the Talmud. They knew the other things that, that Pharisees knew. They were all entrenched in that world. And the whole world, that whole world is based on good behavior. And yet this is the guy that stands up there and trumpets his good works, making uh, this show, saying all this pious stuff. And yet he, it says, according to verse 14, goes home unforgiven. It's totally backward because the guy that should be the, the rascal, that should be the bad person, that should be the one that doesn't measure up, that should be the one who walks around with this stain because all of this sin goes home clean. And it's not because he was less sinful. That is never the issue with God. We, we judge, we have a clipboard spirituality. I should have brought a clipboard. You know what clipboard spirituality is? Well, I'm, I'm doing pretty good today. I've, I've, I've only sinned these four times, five times, pride. <laughs> we keep track of things. God does not have a clipboard spirituality for us or clipboard righteousness. He looks us and say, and at us outside of Christ and says, sin, you're separated from me for eternity. Oh, because of Jesus, you're all the way in. He doesn't measure the amount of sin. But both of these men wanted the exact same thing. They wanted to be justified. They just went about it in two different ways. The Pharisee went about it by saying, I'm good enough and God will approve of me because I'm not like other people. I'm comparing myself to them and I'm not like them. And I do this other good stuff. The tax collector is justified not because of anything that he has done, but he throws himself on the mercy of God with a broken heart and an awareness of how messed up he actually is, and he gets clean. It's totally backward. It's totally inconsistent with what we might be inclined to think. And it seems too simple, but here's the truth. Write this down if you would. Humility is a form of surrender that initiates breakthrough. God will only break through when we are humble. When we've surrendered ourselves to him and say, Lord, I'm not good enough. You and I will never be good enough to deserve him to to move on our behalf. It's just not ever going to happen. But when we come to him and say, Lord, I'm not pretending that I have all my, 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 my life together. I'm not pretending that I'm spotless, that I'm sinless. I'm not pretending that I'm righteous. I'm not pretending that I'm better than anyone else. Would you please move on my behalf? God is attracted to that. James chapter 4 says this, that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So when we are humble, the Lord draws near every single time. 
He is always drawn near humility. Because of our tendency to to be like the Pharisee, to not be self-aware, we sometimes thwart our own prayers for breakthrough by not being real about where we actually are and what our sins actually are inside of us, how we are still struggling and not being completely open and honest with him. Because God can do more with a self-aware sinner than he can with a self-righteous Pharisee. God can do more with us when we're just honest about where we're at. I know, turn to the person next to you and say, man, this is kind of basic. Go ahead. It is. This is very basic stuff. That's all, all, by the way, all the, all the good stuff in the kingdom of God is all basic. But it's very basic stuff. But here's the thing. When we get further and further away from the basics like confession and repentance, we get less and less likely to experience breakthrough. We always come back to these basics. All this guy does is confess and repent. He says, confession, I'm a sinner. He says in repentance, God have mercy. And God meets him. The, 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 the challenge that I have for my own life, and I'm imagining that many of you do too, is that it is just incredibly easy, shockingly easy, to look at other people and think, at least I'm not like them. I can remember as a teenager... And this isn't even in, in, um, in regard to spirituality. I just remember being a teenager, being in high school. Wasn't that a lovely time of life? Um, as a way of boosting up my own sense of self-worth, having to play a game where I would look at other people and say, well, he's taller than I am, but I've got a better smile. <laughs> or whatever. I'd have to find, in my, in my own brokenness, I'd have to find a way to measure myself against others to make sure that I had something that I could stand on that made me feel superior. I think it's part of our fallen nature that we want to compare with other people so that we don't feel as bad about ourselves. And the kingdom of God is exactly opposite of that. It's owning all of it and saying, Lord, I've got nothing but you, but you're enough. Please have mercy on me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And God comes in and he rescues us. It's just so easy to compare. Write this down. It's the last point on your, on your grace guides. Pride is a barrier that God will not remove for us. Like, and when I say that, I don't mean that God's not active in the removal of pride. I mean this. We cannot just pray, God, take my pride away. We repent our pride away. We confess our pride away. We can't just say, Lord, make me not like the Pharisee. We say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I know there's stuff that I'm dealing with. I'm not going to play any games. I'm not going to posture. I'm not going to say that I don't have any issues. I'm not going to trumpet all my good works. I'm going to say, have mercy on me. And then he comes in. Then he rescues. Then he removes pride. Then he draws us close to him. When was the last time? I'm almost finished. When was the last time that you stood before God like this Pharisee. I'm sorry, like this tax collector. <laughs> well, the other, one might, the other one might be good to know too. <laughs> let me try that again. This is a really important, let me, let me, let's reset. When was the last time you stood before the Lord like this tax collector? When was the last time you asked the Lord, Lord, help me to be like that. Help me to, help me to even want to be like that. It's a, it's a vulnerable place. We don't like vulnerable. By nature, we don't like vulnerable. After the fall, what did, what did Adam and Eve run and do? They sure didn't run to the Father once they fell in Genesis chapter 3. What did they do? They ran to the woods and made clothing. 
Yeah, like I want to cover up. It is in our sinful nature to try to cover ourselves up. Nobody likes to stand before the Lord. God, be merciful to me. Nobody likes that. When was the last time you really in prayer, in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit, just said, Lord, I do not want to be like that Pharisee. I want to be a tax collector in this sense. I want to be one who is laid wide open before you, naked and unashamed, and I want you to come and touch me and heal me and forgive me. That place is a place of breakthrough. When we find ourselves able to just stand before him, not, not giving excuses, not making excuses. You ever have an argument with your, this is a little too personal. Susan in here? Good, she's not in here. When we have an argument, I am 87% of the time the one at fault. Oh, here she comes, great. 13, 13% of the time she's at fault, but 87% of the time I'm at fault. Here's what happens. I want to come to her and confess that I was wrong. I want to come to her and say, Susan, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. But what I also want to do is say, but because you, therefore my sin. It's very difficult to stand before God and say, Lord, I got nothing. I, please forgive me. Wash me and not say, you know, but you know, Lord, that person, oh, this woman you gave me, oh, you know, this job you gave me, this situation. It's very difficult to stand there with nothing in your hands and nothing in your heart and nothing between you and God and just say, Lord, come and rescue me. And yet that is exactly the place where God takes us, will take us from and make us move into breakthrough. And so I want to invite you this morning. We're going to pray together. And we're specifically going to pray a prayer like this tax collector. And it may have been a long time since you have been that vulnerable with the Lord. But I'm going to invite you to be that vulnerable with him this morning. Not just for your own sense of cleansing and your own sense of needing to break through. And not just even for us as a, as a body to do that. But because of one other thing, and I want to mention this to you. The, this board that we have up here is covered with... Um, and you're welcome to add an initial set of initials to it if you'd like. It's covered with initials that represent people that need Christ. And we pray for them. I think about this board. I come into this room. I, I just look over. The, I don't know who any of those people are because it's just initials. But the Lord knows. And we are praying that God would bring them into a place of relationship with him. That they would have the big breakthrough. The, the born from above breakthrough. The born again breakthrough. That's what we're praying for. But here's the thing about humility. This lifestyle of forgiveness. If I walk in pride, I create an obstacle. Stick with me on this. I create an obstacle for these people to come to Jesus. Because when they are looking to me, we have relationship with them. When they are looking to me to see, see what it means to be a Christ follower, and they see someone that looks like that Pharisee, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. I thank you that I'm not like other people. No one is drawn to God like that. No one is drawn to him. But when, we, when our friends, when those that we are seeking to see come to him, see within us a heart of mercy and a brokenness and an openness and a vulnerability, they are immediately attracted to us and want to know more. We can become an obstacle to people coming to Christ simply by walking in pride as opposed to humility. And so this morning as we pray, I don't want you just to pray for your own breakthrough sense. I want, sense, I want you to think about this is, there's bigger there's bigger things going on than just that, that there are people that need to see a broken version of you so that they will see the whole one who has touched your life and changed it. So would you stand with me this morning?
I know that we can't get away from one another because we're in this, this room. But if you would just close your eyes for a moment, I want you to think of yourself like the, uh, like the tax collector. He, he found a, a spot by himself. Just in your mind's eye, see yourself being alone. See yourself being, being aware of your sin. It could be sin in your thought life. It could be sin in your, with your mouth. It could be sin with your money. It could be sin with the relationships. It could be in your marriage with your kids, with your parents. I want you to just allow the Holy Spirit to give you that picture, to show you yourself. Not because we want to shame you. This isn't about making you feel bad, bad about you. This is making you see you so that you can bring you to Jesus and be healed. But you're, you're off by yourself. Your head is down. And as we pray this morning and invite the Lord to have mercy on us like this, like this tax collector did, would you even just take your hand, just make a, make a fist and just hold it across your heart for a moment. Just symbolically saying, Lord, I, I recognize I have sin. I, am not, I don't want to be that Pharisee. I'm not comparing myself to anyone except your holiness. And when it comes to that comparison, I am wrecked. I got, I got, I've got nothing to recommend myself. I've got no posturing to, to do or to make, excuses to make. I just want to come before you and be forgiven. Would you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you right now. We stand as that tax collector. Give us a, give us a fresh understanding of where we still need to grow, where we're still a mess, where we're still struggling. Help us to see ourselves compared to your holiness, your perfection, your glory. But Lord, at the same time, help us to receive the forgiveness and the grace that comes when we are not posturing, when we're not playing games and we're just saying, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me, have mercy on me. Lord, help us to receive that mercy this morning. We just, we, we, we almost symbolically, we lift up our heads right now and we look to you because you're smiling at those who call on you for mercy. You're, you're, you're gracious, Lord. The blood of Jesus has purchased our forgiveness. We are made whole, not because of our righteousness, but because of his. And we just receive his mercy this morning. We receive your grace. We receive your justification. We stand right and righteous before you. And Lord, we ask that this posture of humility that we're praying in, that we're demonstrating this morning would be not only for our own breakthrough, but for those who have yet to come to you that we're praying for. May they see this humility too. May they be attracted to it. May, they, may it stir within them questions. And may we have the opportunity to share, to share the truth about the one who always gives mercy to them. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you extend your hands before you? I want to bless you in the name of the Lord before you go. Grace Church family, I speak a blessing over you. You will be blessed. We will be blessed as we trust in the Lord with all of our heart. And we don't lean on our own understanding. We will be blessed as we acknowledge God in every one of our ways. Because he's going to make our paths straight. Be blessed in the name of Jesus today. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this message made a difference in your life. If you would like more information about Grace Church, Visit us on the web at grace417.com 
or connect with us by filling out a connection card on our app.